Welcome to Analyze This, Mental Health in Film and TV. I'm Dr. Boo, clinical psychologist. My guest today, Dr. Claire Hodgkiss, has a background in physical sciences and works in education, providing life transformational opportunities for vulnerable and disadvantaged children. In today's podcast, we discuss Hector and the search for happiness. We look at the depiction of a psychiatrist as well as the journey that he takes, and we ask, what is happiness anyway? And is that really what Hector is looking for? As ever, please watch the film before listening to the podcast. There will be spoilers. Claire, thank you for coming today. And we're going to talk about Hector and the search for happiness. I wanted to talk about, first of all, whether we think that he's a good depiction of a psychiatrist, because there are a lot of films out there that depict mental health professionals, and most of them don't do it very well. And I wonder what your thoughts were about this one. Okay, so tell me what, in your opinion, would be a good depiction of a mental health professional, and I'll tell you whether Hector meets it or not. I like that because you just did a Hector, you asked, answered a question with a question. With a question. Lua, you did that. <laughs> I, just, I want to see more films showing us what actual psychiatrists are like in, in real life. So... What do they do? How do they sit? How do they interact with people? Um, how much money do they earn? How does Hector have so much money? So being honest in my personal experience, and it wasn't a psychiatrist, but thinking of your bog standard counsellor, I wouldn't expect someone to be sitting there with a notepad and pen. Okay. And the whole narrative of the movie actually starts with him being very engaging with his patients. Um, not only does he have the couch element, he has the hospital and um, more clinical psychiatry element to his, as well as his private practice. Um, I guess I would say he's, he's very engaging, starts off being very engaging, but the whole idea is that he becomes disengaged with his patients. That's the whole crux of the movie in that he stops wanting to understand their problems and they essentially become first world problems in the grand scheme of things. He starts to to question everything as he does naturally in his profession, answering a question with a question, but he starts to question much more and that leads him to be very sarcastic, I think, with his patients. So I think he starts off really well as a mental health professional, but it's the erosion of that that leads to the story. And I think the audience have to write that. So do you think that, we, that we're only catching a very small glimpse of him as a psychiatrist at the beginning? Mm-hmm. And that actually there's been years of Hector as a psychiatrist before then when he was a better psychiatrist? So the whole idea is that his life is perfect. It's, it, it, it's managed micromanaged if you like by his partner she has everything down pat to his his packed lunch everything's labeled um she puts his tie on him and it has to be done the right way i mean the kind of stuff that really makes my shoulders go up like this (laughs) couldn't live with that level of organization where i am now in my life but where i was as a younger player I would have totally got that and I would have really felt comfortable with that. 
But you see, that's interesting because you said as a younger Claire, and I don't think this is necessarily even Hector in the search for happiness. I think this is Hector in the search for his adult. I think he's a kid. I think that that's what we're seeing is that he's actually a bit of a child and a little bit shallow. I don't know whether he's really ever asked himself a meaningful question in his life. And I think that he's that's what he's missing. That's why he hasn't got that depth anymore, because actually... One of the things he says is the richer the city, the more psychiatrists per square mile. But he chooses to work with the rich self-funding people. Even this random shift he does in the inpatient unit, he only ever sees one person. And it makes him wonder, who is he working with? I would completely agree with you on the childlike aspect. I think that because the movie opening with him losing his dog out of the aeroplane mirrors the childhood loss of his pet. And we do see towards the end of the movie him portrayed as a child and also maybe the structure in some ways with his partner doing all these things for him in a mothering aspect helps to perpetuate that idea yes he's never had to stand on his own two feet no I think there's a lot of child in him so when you even see his bookshelf at the beginning he's got Freud and Young and Tintin and I think that he probably associates better with Tintin than he does with Freud or Young the way that he is portrayed at the beginning of the film. I think that, as you say, he's not portrayed necessarily as a great psychiatrist. I think he actually lacks interest in people at that at that point at the beginning. I think he's lost the interest that he has. Is he riding the wave of expectation? You know, yourself, you, you go through academia, you get on a certain path, and there just are these certain life things that are just expected of you. So I guess what it comes down to is social pressure. Because we don't actually see much of his social life. He doesn't seem to have very many friends. We see his friends and all his friends fly model aeroplanes. Are they his friends, though? He doesn't seem to connect with them at all. He classes them as his friends. He does actually refer to them as his friends. But I think that there's no evidence that they have a genuine friendship. No, no. Not like they do at the end, which I guess is the whole, whole kind of point that he he grows up. Because if part of the reason that he that he's gone on his search for happiness because actually he also just needs to grow up. It's interesting that the ungrown up version of him that we have at the beginning doesn't have childhood friends. Is it the fact that he needs to grow up, or is it the fact that he needs to learn to accept actually how life is? I personally would argue that he doesn't necessarily have to learn to grow up. He has to have less structure, make more mistakes, put on his own tie, but he can continue to fly his model aeroplanes. Oh, 100%. I was thinking that growing up is about exactly what you just said. The learning to accept that you have to take risks and look after yourself a bit, not stopping reading Tintin and flying model aeroplanes. Otherwise... I don't believe I have grown up yet, but I certainly wouldn't have thought, thought that. I certainly wouldn't expect grown ups to let go of childhood things. That's not that's not what growing up's about. So I, I think maybe not forced to grow up, but maybe accept who he is. I think it's worth pointing out actually that this movie was recommended to me by my own counsellor when I was dealing with bereavement and. Um, having to learn to grow up and stand on my own two feet because my parents were no longer here. So I think that's quite an interesting, just an interesting point to make. My enjoyment of the film, having watched it recently, is significantly more, I think, than when I first watched it. That's interesting. Mine was significantly less. 
I didn't enjoy it as a film. The 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 saving grace being Simon Pegg, I, I would find it hard to not enjoy a film with Simon Pegg in it. So there's that. <laughs> I think for me though, it wasn't him as a character. Mm-hmm. It was the characters on the periphery. And I significantly enjoyed them. I significantly enjoyed the way that he was led astray by the affluent businessman um, in terms of out clubbing and picking up the lady and not realising that she was paid for, etc. And his realisations thereafter. I like the fact that he went off into, it's supposed to be Tibet, I guess, um, to meet the monks. And they're quite straightforward it was those characters that I liked actually more than him maybe it's because I already knew that he would find some way to the end Mm -hmm. but this time I was looking for more of the influences in his journey rather than at his journey. My worry is that the other characters that he sees are quite stereotypical you know there's a lot of criticism leveled at the film I don't know I guess that the characters for me they grated more than they did then I warmed to them. I found them stereotyped. Do I think the portrayal of an African country, I think I think it plays on our thoughts of the stereotype in terms of the plane journey. But the warmth of the people is completely right in my experience. The warmth of being invited into a community and invited around somebody's house, and that's just what you do when you just rock up. And my experiences there are through my marriage, my Nigerian friends, um, and the various communities that I work in in London. And I would say actually that's quite accurate, with the exception, with the exception of the drug dealing. The drug dealing is not something that I've witnessed however interesting enough the carjacking absolutely and that kind of again I think it plays on the stereotype we've all seen the stereotypes of phishing scammers etc people playing money into your bank account etc that's always thought of but carjacking is actually a real thing and you know my husband himself's been carjacked I don't think it's so far and it is supposed to be comedic in some in some parts. So it's it's interesting for me to hear that you think it's a stereotype. But for me, I could draw. But maybe it's because of my experiences. I can draw on the parallel. Absolutely, but also the way that you've described it has made me reconsider that because if we were to take one step deeper into Hector and the fact that he's got Young on his yeah. bookshelf, now I don't know a lot about Young. I'm going to put that out there now. You'll know more than me. <laughs> I don't know about that. But my understanding is that he described archetypal events. There's birth, there's death, initiation, marriage, um, separation from parents. And there's archetypal figures. There's mother, father, devil, child, god, trickster, hero. If you superimpose that archetypal theory on Hector and the Search for Happiness, the whole thing is a Jungian archetypal event. With archetypal figures. Now, I didn't know that about Jung, and it's my background, I wouldn't have looked at it from that perspective. But totally, when he meets Jean Renault in the bar, that's your trickster archetype. Your, and that is, in my opinion, 
although it's an archetype, that's also a stereotype. But, interestingly, it's the trickster that gets him out of a situation because Hector learns from it. If it wasn't for meeting the trickster, if it wasn't for having that encounter, he wouldn't get out of the kidnap situation that he ends up in. Absolutely. So the the, the trickster is about that person who breaks the rules, who... Mm. Who's a rebel, and yeah, and that fits him really, really well. I have the feeling that the next time I watch this movie, I'm going to look at it with a different perspective yet again, which will be lovely. Me too, now because I hadn't thought about it until now, <laughs> and I don't know enough about it. I need to look into it a little bit more because I think there's probably more than I can remember in terms of different kinds of archetypes. So, moving the movie on to the next stage where he goes to America to meet his previous love if you talk about the mothering stereotype yep he's there she wasn't the one for him yeah. but now she's gone off and she's got three kids well she's, she's pregnant with number three and um and she has to deliver it to him how it is she has to tell him the truth and only a way that a mother i think can do to a son um, but she also introduces him into the wider thinking, if that's the, yes. the right term. So when he meets, and this is something that I did want to discuss with you, when he meets the academic mm-hmm. who's dealing with the science behind happiness and the differing parts of the brain that light up with different emotions, etc. In his lecture, he mentioned something about unbridled joy of childhood and unbridled happiness where you're just, you're not thinking about anything. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else other than the moment. Yeah. But he only associates that with childhood. Let me take you back to June last year, you and me, getting our faces painted and going on a Ferris wheel. I wasn't thinking of anything else other than unbridled joy, quite frankly, of seeing a field full of revellers beneath us. And genuinely, I was in that moment. This is where the movie maybe started, got slightly started to lose its legs for me because of the association of that with childhood. Yes, I can see exactly what you mean. And maybe that comes back to us and, and my question of, is it necessarily him growing up and why do you need to do that? Yes, because actually the, the point would then be that if you have to grow up, then yes, you would never get that if you were following the, the theme of the film. Whereas, yes, as you say, we can all have unbridled moments of happiness as adults. And that moment where children really get into something like Lego, um, you know, I know that my kid can spend hours and he says, I have no idea where the time went. I was just trying to get this thing done. And what we try and encourage people to do is to try and find a task for themselves, which is almost out of reach, but not quite. And something which you that you enjoy doing. And then if you get into doing that, we can get into the same feeling that you have when your child is playing with Lego. It's that feeling of, I've got no idea where the day began or ended. I forgot to eat. I forgot to go to the toilet. I forgot to do everything because I was just so into the moment. But then there's also the other kind of unbridled joy. You know that I absolutely adore my job. Um, Under normal circumstances, under lockdown, a little bit more challenging. But um, there'll be days when I work from home that I get back to my desk here, nine o'clock in the morning. Next thing I know, three in the afternoon. And that's yeah. sheer enjoyment of, of what I do. But I wouldn't put that in the same bucket mm-hmm. as us going on a Ferris wheel. 
<laughs> no, two different kinds. Of- this is joy, so that time elapses. But maybe that's joy where you don't want it to stop. Two different things there. I'm enjoying being in the moment, but then there's also that I wish this moment would last. And for me, those are two very different type, maybe types of happiness. I don't know. And that's what I was going to ask you, is that actually, are we then looking at two different types of happiness? So they talk about the search for happiness as if it's something which you can find, that you can own and hold on to. Whereas actually, there's, there's two points to that. Firstly, you've got to enjoy the journey. But also, secondly, there's some evidence, and I, I may be outdated from my university days, but the idea of a happiness set point, we generally end up at a similar level of happiness, regardless of amazing things. So I think that they studied lottery winners. They found that their happiness went up for a while, but then ended up going back down again, even though they had more of the things that they thought that they needed to make them happy in the first place. And they they followed this through with this idea that actually you can change your happiness set point, but we have a point where you are happy. Is he talking about being happy or is he talking about spikes of happiness? And I think those are two different things. Completely. I would completely agree with you on the spikes of happiness. I mean, when you get to, when he follows things through and he goes through this study with the academic about letting things go and being able to be happy and actually on the, I'm not quite sure what it is that they're using to actually analyse the activity in history. <laughs> Obviously, it does not match to real science, but that's fine. <laughs> Where his brain is just lighting up with sheer sheer joy. I don't know if I, I think that's something different. And when he has to have a level of accepting himself that's different and I think that's a very different joy to when he fell asleep with the naked Chinese women let's face it it was a different kind of happiness so maybe in the movie he rides those different types depending on the archetype of the protagonist at that time yeah. In terms of different happiness, because you may have, he has at the end, his happiness with himself and actually accepting where he is in his life and maybe changes in self-reflection that he can make to move that forward or accepting his worries, as opposed to the family joy and joy of community and happiness of being part of something, which he is when he's in Africa. Because when he escapes the situation, he has a joie de vivre and um yeah just joy of that sweet potato stew and he notes sweet potato stew as one of the things that makes her happiness but it's not the sweet potato stew it's the fact that it's made in a community and it's a well-known community thing that he's taking part in which again is very different from the happiness that he experiences in china where someone's actually interested in him absolutely and that's really interesting as well because then he goes home and he makes the sweet potato stew but it's a different kind of happiness he has then because he is making sweet potato stew and he is feeding himself and his partner for the first time in as far as we can tell ever you can't say that the sweet potato stew is the thing that makes you happy it is the stuff around that that is the thing that is making you happy and that bringing the sweet potato stew into his own situation accepting his situation and bringing that sense of community to his smaller world my biggest thing about the movie 
Okay, and I did mention that it starts to go downhill for me, and and, and please excuse me if this has just gone off at a tangent now. He says that he'll Skype the Tibetan monk at the end of his journey once he's found stuff, and he does. He rattles all the things that he believes happiness to be, and then he finally settles on the happiness as an obligation. It's just those words of obligation that, to me, at the end of the movie, I was like, no. <laughs> like that Um, because it shouldn't be an obligation it shouldn't be an obligation at all if you want to have a day where you are grumpy as sin you should have a day where you're grumpy as sin and you should accept that and maybe revel in the fact that somebody loves you um all at the same time so what you've just said there is that it's about acceptance so it's not the search for happiness it's the search for acceptance it's the search for accepting that some days you're going to be happy and some days you're not going to be happy and that's okay for me i think it more is and i think that is what chimes with my own experiences i think and accepting that things are not going to be the way that you thought they were but you just got to roll with it all the same and 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 i know we all say that I know there's a lot of people who say, yeah, yeah, you know, you should do your own thing, do your own thing. But how many of us actually live that? That's the difference. I'm sure that Hector was saying these things to his patients about them owning their certain things and living them. But if he wasn't doing it himself, there wasn't an authenticity in what he was saying. Which could relate to patients not making progress but then there's that's that's the other thing that grated with me a little bit is this idea of his patients making progress he says i'm not making my patients happier i don't think that that's his job it's not about trying to make them happy it's about trying to stop them being depressed it's the same as as you were saying with your counselor your counselor could not see you following the death of your parents and help you be happy (laughs) that's not her job his job is never to make them happy his job is going full circle here his job is for them to find what he found and it's that exception of how things are that self-reflection of actually what is within my sphere of influence what can i change here I can sit and get really, 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 really irritated by my neighbour's noise or dog. But if I don't actually physically do something about it, I'm just annoyed about it. So what are the steps that you need to take? What are the... And it's not always just practical things. It might be just accepting that, okay, yep, there's going to be that level of disruption. How do I work with this? Yeah, I like that idea. So while we don't like the idea that happiness is an obligation, do we like the other notes that he makes? One key bit I think we missed out on is when he's travelling to the States on the plane and there's the ill woman who has accepted her disease. Now, I'm not going to be able to quote exactly what his point of happiness is there, but it's along the lines of accepting the negative things, accepting the bad things at the same time. 
And I particularly like that. It's a difficult thing to do. I think, in my personal experience, um, it's a difficult thing to do. Accepting stuff that doesn't sit quite right with you. This lady's obviously accepting cancer, living in a different country, losing her hair. Um, she's stubborn enough to want to travel and fly against recommendation. But for her, it's really important that she sees her sister. So she's gone on that journey herself, but she's accepted all the negative things and all the negative things that may happen on the way. And I like the influence that that has on him because I think he's much more able to accept the things he doesn't like thereafter. I don't know, maybe it puts it in context. Fear is an impediment to happiness. Is that the one? It's the fear. Because this, this woman has to accept the negative of her cancer and she has to accept the negative of her appearance and she has to get over that negative and that fear in order to make the journey to go and see her sister. So fear is an impediment to happiness. I I suppose that for me, I would prefer it to have been something about accepting the fear because she because you don't need to not be afraid. Okay, fair point. Absolutely fair point. And maybe that is that is my interpretation of it. Fear's a good thing. Being out of your comfort zone just allows more in the longer term. And I remember the first person who said that to me was when I moved somewhere on my own. I was sat in an airport crying. Um, and they said, if you don't go out your comfort circle, then you'll never learn things. And that whole experience changed me as a person. So they were completely right. But it's the not understanding and the what if. What if something happens to you that creates the insecurity? But it also depends what you're looking for, doesn't it? Yes, and it depends what you're scared of. Because <laughs> sometimes fear is very real and very realistic. And and I think for me, again, it goes back to the acceptance. Sometimes it's okay to be afraid, but it doesn't mean that it should stop you from pursuing your values. And mm-hmm. I think that that's... It, it, so I suppose it's for me, it's fear can be an impediment to happiness, but it doesn't have to be because you don't have to listen to it. But that's quite a long quote for him to have put in his little book. If you, yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely the thing about listening to your fear. And I think a lot of people do. But what struck me um, when you were speaking there, and I think I said it depends what you're looking for in terms of happiness, just in the bigger picture of things, when... You ask people, are they actually genuinely happy? Yeah, of course I am. Of course I am. When I definitely know, I think back to my mother and my grandmother's generation, they would go, yeah, of course I am. Because you couldn't possibly, it wouldn't be acceptable to not be. So in terms of looking for that happiness, there'll be certain people who who it will sit okay with and certain people whose character it's okay with because you just don't do that. And I suppose, again, that comes back to the difficulty we have there that, that happiness is never really defined in the film. And it's whether it's contentment or acceptance or actual bubbly joys of happiness. And it's all kind of dumped into one bucket of happiness. And actually, it's so much more nuanced than that. But is that not acceptance in itself? Knowing that there's a big bucket that they all go into. So what we've got there is we've got a film where somebody is on... I hate that phrase. It's on a journey. (laughs) You don't live a life these days. You go on a journey. (laughs) You don't have caramel unless it's salted. Um... (laughs) This whole idea of happiness to me is a bit of a crux of the film because he's talking at the beginning about his patients not being happy when actually I don't think that he quite understands what he means by 
happiness. And I think I, I still feel the whole film moves from this idea of happiness as being, as the professor in America says, this idea of it being that bubbly joy versus it just being a feeling of acceptance and contentment. And I still feel that those two things are, I think the nuance there is lost a bit in the film. I know that we've gone sort of down various strands with this, um, but I'm, I, is that itself entwined with adulthood in that maybe happiness, yes, when you are 10, is that unbridled joy? But accepting as you get older that happiness may be different things and grows with you as a person. Yes. And grows in different ways and grows with the different influences or the archetypes that appear in your life. Yes, I like that. I don't know, just a theory. I think there's a lot in the film about not chasing happiness, about that, that, that he is incorrect to assume that the goal is to, to be happy. But he doesn't listen to himself, that's the other thing. No, he doesn't, does he? And I think as he grows and he listens to more things, in fact, that's the other thing, that's the other quote. Listening is loving and being listened to and understood, but maybe listening to oneself is probably the biggest thing. Again, very difficult to do sometimes. Yeah. The Skarsgård character reminded me of there's a Buddhist story um, about a fisherman uh-huh. and uh, and a businessman and the idea being that the fisherman is on a beach and he's fishing he's fishing with his pole and he's catching some fish and he's enjoying being there and this businessman comes up to him and says you're not going to catch very many fish that way you should be working you shouldn't just be lying in the sun on the beach and he says well what will I get out of that? And he's like, well, you'll get bigger nets, you'll catch more fish. Then what will I have? Said, well, you'll have more money and a bigger boat and more fish. And the idea being that he's saying, well, you know, right now I'm sitting here and enjoying the sun and I'm going to take my three fish. I'm going to give one to my child and one to my wife and one for me and I'll come back tomorrow and I'll catch three fish. And that's, that's my life. And I'm sitting in the sun and I'm enjoying myself. And the businessman's saying, that's ridiculous. You need to make more money, have more fish, have more money. And then you can have a bigger boat and more people to work for you. And he keeps saying, what will my reward be? Well, then you'll have a fleet of fishing boats and you'll sail around the world. And he said, then what will my reward be? And he says, don't you understand? You could be so rich, you'll never have to work again. You could spend the rest of your life sitting on this beach looking at the sunset. And he's like, well, that's what I'm doing right now. But everyone's reward is different. And again, exactly. that is part of the listening thing. What is your reward? Exactly. And actually, that's one of the quotes, isn't it? Happiness is answering your calling. So if the fisherman's calling is to sit on the beach and catch three fish a day and take them home to his family and get stuff on the beach every day, that's his calling. The Skarsgård character's calling is to make as much money as he possibly can. And I think that it comes to that point of non-judgment that actually whatever works for you works for you. But what's going to make you happy isn't necessarily what's going to make somebody else happy. And that goes back to your listening is loving quote. What we're looking at there is somebody who needed to go away and ask himself the questions so that he can go back and see his clients and ask them the right questions, as opposed to just answering their questions with a question. 
I see this I see this movie now in a completely different way, and I do know when I, when I watch it next time, I know that there will be will be different influences that I'll come back to think about. Brilliant. That's really good to hear. You've been listening to Analyze This, Mental Health in Film and TV. I'm Dr. Boo. My guest today was Dr. Claire Hodgkiss. Music by Joseph McDade. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe or follow us on Twitter or Facebook. <laughs>